Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Old Everald and Young James Talk Politics. Here, as always, with Everald Compton. How are you, Ed? Well, I'm good, mate. Another week has passed and I've survived, and I'm glad that you're still uh, working hard as a young lawyer and uh, trying to turn the country into a good place. But there's a few things we can talk about this week. Uh, and the first one that I uh, wanted to raise was the change in immigration laws. I know that there's a few other things we're going to chat about, but let's just chat about that first. It's only proposed, the Minister has announced the proposal, I've thought for a long, long time that our immigration laws were terrible. They're, they're enormously complicated, terribly difficult for people to get into the uh, into the country, and, and they don't really serve the purpose of saying what skills do we want brought into this country and what cultures will advance the, our nation and whatever. You know, the facts of the matter are, looking through Australian history, Every time we've had an influx of migrants in Australia, significant one, it has the Australian nation has prospered by them coming in. It hasn't gone backwards. The whole theory is there's not enough jobs, there's not enough houses. All was proved to be nonsense, uh, and we wouldn't have had the Snowy Mountains uh, scheme built if we hadn't allowed migrants in, uh, you know, to do that. And so we've got to make it. Easier for people and then easier for them to qualify instead of all the ridiculous rules of qualifying to become a citizen. At the same time, we don't want the wrong people coming in. But I've always believed for a long, long time that our immigration laws were quite simply childishly backward. Now, how do you see them? Yeah, I mean, this idea that we need really tough, complex immigration laws to stop all the evil criminals and rapists from flooding our country or whatever has always been nonsense. I mean, um, like you say, whenever we've had a big, whenever we've been a generous country and let in massive waves of refugees and immigrants, it has always pushed the country forward, um, both in terms of you get people coming often from you know, war-torn countries who are so, so grateful for the opportunity Australia has bestowed on them um, that they will hit the ground running and, like you say, do things like the Snowy Hydro, to, uh, the original Snowy Hydro project. Um, but you also, and more importantly, um, be they skilled migrants or refugees coming in, um, you improve the culture of a place by introducing multiculturalism. Now, the Pauline Hansons of the world will say, no, no, there's only one Australian culture, and if it ain't white, it ain't right. Um, that's obviously wrong. That's self-evidently wrong. We have benefited so much from being a multicultural nation where, you know, you can walk down the street and try all sorts of foods. Uh, in Lakemba, uh, there's a famous Ramadan night market during the period of Ramadan uh, run by Australia's Muslim community. You know, in Burwood, we have, in Sydney, we have a wonderful, wonderful Chinatown. Um, there are so many awesome, awesome things multiculturalism brings um, to this country. Aside from the economic benefits, there are also so many social benefits from being a diverse um, and multifaceted country um, that I think, you know, that the racists all hoot and holler and ham and whore and complain about it. Um, and unfortunately and regrettably, I think there's always going to be that sort of sect of racists who no matter how hard you try and no matter how logical an argument you present, will always say, no, no, but they're all criminals, no. 
Uh, and again, you, you and I can sit here and say, well, that that's obviously a load. But um, I think it's, it's a good change. I mean, a, a theme of what I hope this Labor government does is it's at a point where, like, its political capital is at its highest. The opposition is in disarray uh, and providing no credible alternative. At the last election, the voters said to both major parties, if you don't listen to us, if you screw around, only act in your own self-interest, we will vote for minor parties or independents. So the lesson that Labor should be taking is the time is now to do really good and beneficial things for the electorate uh, when the political capital is at its highest and the electorate has sounded off that if Labor yeah. stands in the way of progress, they will, you know. Yeah, well, too, and, 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 and just before we move on to our next subject, I mean, I remember, the, the, well, I don't remember, I, I studied many times and read many books about the arrival of the Chinese in Australia at the time of the gold rush, and there was a great angst by the white Aussies, these Chinese coming in to pinch gold at Bendigo or whatever, and it got so bad that it young in New South Wales, where there was a mine, uh, some 50 Chinese were shot by white Aussies who reckoned they were taking gold they should have. Now, all these years later, 150 years later, as you say, Chinatown in every capital city is a place where everybody flocks and all the right-wing, uh, you know, racist politicians I know love to go to Chinatown and they say it's the greatest place. And they don't say after the end of their meal, you know, ship these blokes back to China. And the Chinese community has made an enormous contribution to Australia. So let's you know, have, have you yeah. know that 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 moves on, but let's move on to uh, we got a bit of an agenda. Let's move on to job seeker. There has been a, a furore about the job seeker all week, and I've had a solution to job seeker and all sorts of other forms of uh, uh, aid that people need in, in, in dark times, which which I want to toss out. But uh, the, the government's um, decision not to raise job seeker to the level that Jenny Macklin's committee recommended has caused a furore. Now, what's your, and I think we can get over or not, we can't get over this by budget night, but I think by the following budget night we can. But you tell me how you see the job seeker thing at this moment, James. We did discuss it last week. What's happened this week to stir us up? Well, look, to my mind, there are two angles here. The first one, which is sufficient for me to want job seeker to be raised is the compassionate angle. It's my firm belief that in a very rich first world country like Australia, nobody should live in poverty. And the job seeker rate is about $400 a fortnight below the poverty line, which is sickening. And to my mind, it's just not, not on for a government to force its citizens to live in poverty. But beyond that, um, because I know that's not enough for some people, the economic benefits of increasing job seeker are manifold. It will not add to inflation significantly. But more importantly, that economic inclusion committee that the government set up came down with a few key findings, essentially that having all these Byzantine work for the dole requirements and an oppressively low job seeker rate doesn't actually help people find work. Rather, it hinders them finding work because it's very hard to present as cool, calm and collected at a job interview when you're super, 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 super stressed about having to send out 50 applications per week, 
and having to put food on the table for your kids and all those sorts of things. A much simpler and more robust job seeker rate and job seeker system would help alleviate a lot of those mental health pressures on the unemployed. Uh, further and above that, 10% of people on job seeker are homeless and 40% of people on job seeker are disabled. Um, which means that this whole sort of the best form of welfare is a job thing, that's 50% of people who can't just walk down the street and find a job and snap their fingers like that. And those people are being punished, uh, being forced to live $400 a fortnight below the poverty line for, to me, what is essentially no reason whatsoever, um, barring cruelty. Because you can't say, yeah, we're, we're keeping the disabled on an oppressively low rate just to incentivize them to get a job. You know, we're keeping the homeless on an oppressively low rate to incentivize them to get a job. Um, that That's just nonsense. Now, every study from any think tank worth its while, the Australia Institute's done some good ones, circling back to inflation, has said a job seeker, a modest job seeker increase would be a drop in the ocean uh, in terms of inflationary pressures. We know, you know and I know, in any event, that the inflationary pressures aren't caused by poor people spending too much money, rather they're caused by greedy corporations taking in too much profit. So it's it's all, um, to my mind, it's all smoke and mirrors and excuses for why it can't be done, uh, both from okay, a well, national well, point now, of view now, and an economic point of view. Now, James, I'm going to disagree with you a bit here. I've, I've been watching budgets now for 65 years since I first went to Parliament, and Governments, first of all, uh, uh, the thing I've learned is what is speculated beforehand is often governments dropping things into the ring beforehand to see what the public reaction is going to be before they do things in the budget. So they float things out there to do. Now, I'm not saying that's what they've done here, but I've seen that done over and over again. And quite often on budget night, you see a different explanation as to why it is. Now, Jim Chalmers, is a bloke with a lot of common sense, as with as his elbow. And I'd be interested when Jim, uh, on Tuesday week, whenever it is, uh, uh, announces what job seekers going to get, what rationale he's got and explains for doing that. I've heard other things from the government that there are other alleviations to cost of living that are going to happen that they say will make up for this deficit in job seekers. So I'm going to wait to see what Jim Chalmers says. Now, if in fact... He leaves it the way you've just been talking about. Well, then I think there's going to be one hell of a fight around the nation. But I believe it goes a lot deeper than that. And I think we'll watch and see what happens on uh, on uh, election night. Because I know that uh, Jim Chalmers in particular is a bloke who listens to what the community is saying. And, and, uh, and he's got a million pressures with people telling him the other way. The job seekers shouldn't be raised at all and, and on the conservative side of politics. And so... You know, there, there, there we go. So let's see. We 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 got two weeks until or ten days until we know what Jim Chalmers said. But you know that you know that that'd be good. Could could we move on to Elbow's um, uh, two extra two billion dollars for health, and it's going to provide all sorts of things, including more after hours health care, and it's designed to reform Medibank in various ways now. I find it interesting. When I when I was a boy, uh, my dad was a labourer, and we were out in the bush, and and he, he got three pounds a week, and he had a, there was a wife and three children, and he had three pounds a week. That's six dollars uh, a week uh, back in nineteen thirties. Of course, it's worth a hell of a lot more than that now. 
$6 a minute. But he would say to us, we cannot afford to go to doctors or dentists because we haven't got enough money. And there was no many banks. There were some public hospitals, but we lived a hell of a long way. But whenever you got sick, you know, uh, you just got some stuff from the local store. You hoped you were going to get better. I didn't get to see a dentist until I was 15 years of age because we couldn't afford one. And, and so we now come to a point where everybody believes they're entitled to health at any time, any place. And I go along with that, except there is a massive overuse of, of Medicare by people who simply turn up when they get a sniffle simply because when you had unrestrained bulk billing, you could go there. And I, and I know people who are oldies who go to the doctor because they're lonely and the doctor's a nice man to talk to and so they want to talk about their rheumatism, which they've had for years and years anyway. And so I, I hope that with this reform of um, of, of uh, health in Australia and, uh, that, that we will have a more rational use of, uh, of the health system that we now have, which I believe has got out of hand, the same way as NDIS has got out of hand. I, I think there's a lot of people making money out of both Medicare and NDIS uh, on the supply side who we can kick out and put in jail quite easily. Well, as regards um, NDIS at least, um, from what I understand, yeah, there's, you know, the... People in the public may think the big problem with NDIS is like people with fake disabilities, quote unquote, rorting it. That's not true. The big problem with the NDIS is the NDIS suppliers rorting it, taking in obscene amounts of money from the government and then only giving sort of half of that or a quarter of that to their um, disabled clients. I agree with it's, that. Yeah, There's an, indi an industry there that's just milking the system. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's much like when you hear those scandals on the TV about, say, charities, and you hear that charity so-and-so is only donating 30 cents on the dollar to causes and is keeping the other 70 cents for itself and its board. Uh, that's sort of what the NDI, a lot of NDIS providers do. As regards healthcare, I think I'm, I'm very grateful to live in a system with a robust healthcare and I would much rather a system where you know a lonely old person can go to the doctor to talk about their rheumatism and waste a bit of time than a system where no one can afford to go to the doctor um, much like the American system now it's um my big hope for Medicare it's I think one of the the Greens best policies at the last election was putting dental health care into Medicare I don't see why healthcare stops at your teeth um, especially because like you know if you break a finger um, on a non-dominant hand, that's, you know, nothing. Um, that's definitely Medicare covered. But if you break your teeth up or you get some horrible teeth condition, um, that may not be covered, even though you need your teeth just as much as you need your fingers on your non-dominant hand. So I think um, from a rush, and I, I know Albo won't do that in this coming budget, but it's one of those things, the dental into Medicare message is one that I think you know, we saw the Greens do very well at the last election. And I talked just 10 minutes ago about how the time is now for major parties, not just to think they have everything their own way, but to listen to the broader electorate. And I think um, for young people, especially, um, something like that is something that if Labor doesn't act on, that will see more and more voters head to the Greens like happened in Queensland at the last federal election. Yeah, and which might happen in more places at the... Uh... At the next election, let's let, let move on. I'm keeping my eye on the clock. We move on. Uh, uh, 
the, we, we have a situation where Peter Cosgrove, the former Governor-General, is going to become Governor-General for two weeks while every well, while the current Governor-General and every state governor, who would, one of whom would normally stand in for the Governor-General when he's away, they're all over at the coronation. Uh, and uh, so Peter Cosgrove is uh, going to be the Governor-General for, for two weeks. Now, it, when it was announced... Anthony Albanese, in deciding that Peter Grosko be the two, and I'm pleased that I, I've met Peter Grosko, think he's a good bloke. He had to get the approval of the king and get the king to sign a bit of paper so that Peter Grosko could be our governor general for two weeks. Now, I find that obscene that the king of England, I know it's in the constitution, that we gotta, we've got to get rid of royalty out of the constitution, that we can't appoint a Governor-General for two weeks unless the King of England signed a bit of paper. And the King of England had the power to refuse to sign that bit of paper. And so I don't like Cosgrove, put in someone else now, he's smart enough not to. But it's obscene that 120 years after Federation, we've got to get a piece of trivia like that approved by the King. And so it spurred me up to spend the rest of my days getting rid of royalty out of the Australian Constitution. That does not necessarily mean a republic. we just got to have a referendum where we say we'll remove all mentions of royalty and replace royalty by the, the people of Australia, that the people of Australia are the final arbiters of what happened, and they elect a, they elect a Governor-General to be the keeper of the law. Now, how, how do you see that, James? Um, I think I've talked before about my preference for how a head of state should be elected ought to be um, sort of like a two-thirds sitting of parliament sort of deal, um, just to avoid the position becoming overly politicised. Um, though, by and large, I think the solution here clearly is for Albo to call a snap referendum tomorrow so we can kick the, uh, kick the king out of the country before the coronation even gets afoot. Yeah. <laughs> All jokes aside, yeah, it's, it's like, uh, I just, the fact... It's 2023 and we still have a king and we still have a family which, according to this laws of the land, is superior to you and I and every other person out there. Um, we we talked about migration before and how, you know, multiculturalism and that makes every every person's life better. And the great virtue of multiculturalism, when done right, is that in your society, no matter what your background is, whether you're a 20th generation Australian or a first generation Australian, um, you're equal. Uh, and I'm not going to pretend that's what it's like in Australia right now, but that's the idea. And in a country where, according to the laws of the land, uh, not everyone is in fact equal. There is a family over in England who is above the law. Uh, it's it, uh, I, I, I terrible, to... but look, it's even worse. I, 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 I like... King Charles as a yeah, person, yeah, I, great, I, I, did, I, I did I did meet him uh, in England on a campaign where he was the patron and I was the organiser years and years and years ago, like him as a person. But as a king of England, the whole thing switches me off. That England, when they're in a situation where there's homeless people everywhere, jobless people everywhere, the national health system in a crisis, money is being spent on the coronation. Now, the king has cut back some of the frills and frolls of the coronation. But he was made the king by various legal processes. The moment the queen died, why the hell you need a coronation, which is something the old and ancient Brits thought up as a bit of a show to entertain the people. Why the hell you need that in this crowd? I just find the coronation obscene. 
Yeah. I mean, like you say, it's it's a big it's a big money sink. Um who knows, it might be one of those days that, you know, brings the impoverished, struggling, ramshackle tenement residents of Britain together, but I don't think it is because what is more important when you've got a country in widespread poverty than a big festival to bring people together is just feeding the people. That's like, you know, it's it's pretty simple. Uh, we, we don't need to engage in sort of this silly nationalistic fervour and be like, ah, you may not have food on your table, but you have the fulfilling feeling of seeing a new king crown. Like, you know, that, that doesn't fill up your stomach. <laughs> that doesn't nourish your kids. So I yeah, think well, you're right. Yeah. That it's, well, it's... Well, 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 too, it is it, all... Uh... Uh, you know, uh, it was all a bit of time that Australia grew up and we stood on our own feet instead of hanging on to mother's apron strings in England. If we think the English are ever going to come and save us, forget about it, because when they were supposed to save us at Singapore in 1943 or whenever it was, they ratted on us. So and that, that there's no consolation in uh, sticking around. Well, let's get to good and bad, guys. That might just take a little bit of time this week now. James, this will probably upset you, but I'm going to say something about modern music. I think you're a modern music man. But uh, no, th this, week, <laughs> this week, Harry Belafonte died. And back when I was a young bloke, Harry Belafonte was a, a great proponent of the music that they used to call Calypso, and he was known as the king of Calypso. And Harry Belafonte, coloured person, uh, 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 was it was a big hit then? He sang that famous song that well, you probably haven't heard of it, but uh, everybody sang it back in my time. Hey, Mister Telly Man, telling me banana. Anyway, he was a great uh, man, and, and when uh, when he's acting and he's singing, career, and he acted as well as he sang. A movie called Island in the Sun. He did a superb job of acting. We'll come back to that in a minute, but but he. Uh, when he retired from singing, he joined Martin Luther King, or even when he was in his prime, he helped Martin Luther King organise the Great March on Washington. He walked with Martin Luther King in some of the things where Martin Luther King was uh, arrested because he believed in the civil rights movement had to, had to come to some uh, maturity. When Nelson Mandela was locked up in South Africa, he went to South Africa to hold some concerts and great Tribe turned out because he was a legend there too. He's a black man, but he was a legend. And he said he he made a great plea to get help get Mandela out of jail. So he died the other day, age 96, five, five years older than me he was. And uh, but but I found him a great man. But what I liked about him was his music, you can understand. Now modern music is just loud noise. There's half a dozen people like Bruce Springsteen who who, who I like to. But most modern music is loud noise that gets louder. You can't understand a word of it. You can understand everything that Harry Belafonte sang. So all I want to say that I wish Harry Belafonte would sing in a few nightclubs uh, or somebody like him, uh, then the civilised people could go along without getting your eardrums uh, bashed out. Anyway, I just think, so Valet Harry Belafonte, good guy. Are you a music man, James? Uh, it, it's funny you say that because, yeah, me, me and some friends went out to a bar after work yesterday, as we always do on a Friday night, and we were all like, oh, wow, the music is at, like, quite a reasonable volume here. Normally it's way too loud and you can't even hear yourself think. Uh, so you're right that it's a it's a real problem, the, uh, the modern, like the doof, 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 really terribly loud, unimpressive, same, same cookie-cutter music. 
Uh, I, you're right that I haven't heard any of Harry Belafonte's music. Maybe I'll be inspired to go listen to some because from what you've said, it sounds like the man lived an extraordinary life. Um, <laughs> I, I, I detour to know long-time listener Paul Bailey is now two from two because he said again this week your good guy would be Harry Belafonte. So he picked <laughs> hard the Bob last week, uh, getting predictable <laughs> ever. Um, but no, no, it's it sounds like a like you said that he lived a, a, a remarkable and really fulfilled life, and that yeah, you hear yeah, stories, yeah, right. of, you, you hear stories of the sorts of people who like if you could even do a tenth of what they did, you'd look back and say, yeah, I've done a pretty good job. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, true. Now, who's your good guy of the week, Dan? Um, so my good guy of the week is Emmanuel Macron uh, over in France. So there is a big old civil crisis going on in Sudan right now. Um, sort of uh, a coup, warring generals, uh, horrible for the people. Uh, and Macron really took the lead in terms of helping EU citizens who couldn't, even not non-French citizens, even from other countries, uh, who couldn't get consular assistance in Sudan, um, help them get back to their home countries and help save them from sort of getting caught up in what looks to potentially be devolving into a civil war. Now, it, it's been on the news a little bit what's happening in Sudan. I'm not going to pretend to know a lot um, because I haven't, again, seen much of it, um, which is always the way when bad stuff happens in Africa. I think it's a big blind spot the way our news outlets treat crises in Africa. They don't seem to um, report on them very thoroughly, which is a shame. But I, I think credit should go to Macron for, you know, all too often these days we see countries go all nationalistic, right, uh, only helping their own people. But for Macron to go over and above that and be helping um, get people from other EU countries as well back to their home countries and help them keep out a crisis in Sudan, I think deserves, you know, a little little clap. Yeah, well, I, I, I agree with that. And Sudan is, uh, you know, the place we uh, we all ought to take nations like that. Take. When, when I was growing up, it was a much bigger nation. And since... Uh, South Sudan break, broke off because they didn't like the guys in the north. And then in the north, there's been a great dispute. There's several different tribes, and, and but above all, the military guys are trying to work out who gets all the money, and the fight's got nothing to do over who should govern Sudan, right? But who's going to be able to plunder the treasury, one, arm, one army bloke or the other? And so it's, a, it's an appalling bit of work. But I remember as a Christian, my church, used to support the Sudan United Mission. We identified Sudan as a place where there were Christians and where, where they were being persecuted by Muslim uh, majority and by colonial people and what have you. And so I was involved in sending money to Sudan for a long, long time. And it, it, it grieves me that in all those years, the situation in Sudan hasn't uh, hasn't improved at all. So I'm pleased that, you know, that, that, that Macron... Uh, uh, you know, got involved. Now, now, bad guys of the week, you know, I, I, I could come up with a, quite a few bad guys of the week. But Susan Lay, who's the deputy leader of the opposition, every time she gets on uh, the media, she tries to look serious and thoughtful. And every time she speaks, she actually speaks the most shallow nonsense you can do. Now, Albo got an invitation to a, a wedding of a, one of the uh, radio guys in Sydney, and and he decided to go along. He got invited to go along, and it, it apparently there's a few mafia guys were invited as well, and and so there's a hue and cry should Elbow go. And Susan Lay came out and said Elbow shouldn't be going to this million dollar wedding. Apparently, a lot of money is getting floated around, and 
when there's people starving and there's people in houses and not can't get a house and whatever. You know, while I'm all in favour of doing something about people who are starving and not getting house, absolutely. But uh, if all the weddings I've been to in my life, I've never asked the person who invited me, could I see the guest list? Because I'll only turn up if I know that everybody is pure and lovely like me. And so why should Elbow be held if a couple of bad guys are going to turn up? Elbow can sit on the other side of the room and ignore them. But the facts of the matter are that it gets a bit silly when uh, uh, you want to hit a prime minister because he goes to a wedding of a bloke who apparently has been his friend for a fair, uh, a fair while. And I just thought that shows you how shallow conservative politics is that that happened. Yeah, I mean, um, it's um, that radio shock jock is Kyle Sandlands, who uh, is a bit of a jerk, and I don't think Kyle Sandlands would mind me saying that because his whole on-air persona is that he's a bit of a jerk. Um, his autobiography was called, you know, Scandalands, because he's always in the news uh, generally for something not very good. Uh, I think... What Susan Lay is trying to do is go for some like Albo, you know, Scott Morrison flying off to Hawaii in the middle of bushfires moment for Albo. But like you say, it's just like a shallow and half-baked attempt to do it. Like it's not, it's not the same. And I think, yeah, like, you know, I'm not a particularly big fan of Kyle Sanderland. So I'm like, oh, you know, Albo, why, why are you hanging around with him? But it's, it's not anywhere on the same level as it's trying to, um, trying to be made out to be. So. Yeah, well, there, there we go. But anyway, I hope Alba had a good time at the wedding and, and we'll see uh, what happens. Well, who, who's your bad guy of the week, Dan? Uh, well, my um, bad guy of the week is former, now former Fox News host Tucker Carlson, uh, who was fired in unknown circumstances this week. Uh, Rumour has it that Rupert Murdoch fired him from his Fox News spot because he was getting a bit too evangelical even for Rupert because apparently Rupert finds the super evangelicals a bit creepy because one of his ex-wives was one of them and Tucker delivered a big sermon at some mega church this week uh, that Rupert apparently found very off-putting. There's also the small matter that Tucker Carlson's election denials uh, about the 2020 election and attacks on the voting machines and allegations of voter fraud cost Fox News $787 million US dollars, which I don't imagine would have made Rupert too happy. But Tucker and Carlson Tucker has... Moore, there's, a, there's another mob suing him yeah. as well. Yeah, exactly. That, yeah, that's just the Dominion lawsuit. There are more voting machine companies and other companies who are still coming after Fox. You are right. Uh, but Tucker Carlson has spent the best part of his time on air um, spreading horribly bigoted Theories, stuff like you know the 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 Democrats want to fill this country with Muslims to replace the white people uh, and to outbreed us and you know really horrible like that's Hitlery stuff you know that's like that's Nazi sort of rhetoric um, and he's been filling the airwaves and filling the minds of Fox News viewers with that sort of rhetoric for a long long time now. Uh, whoever takes his place, I'm sure will try to do the same. But at the end of the day, um, it is good to see a bad guy go down, uh, and he's my bad guy of the week. True, and I think there's an offshoot of that. Rupert just had to pay out seven hundred uh, a million, which is half what that uh, mob was after. The next mob, the voting machine people, 
they've actually asked for two and a half billion and Rupert's got to decide what to do with them. Now, that's a hell of a lot of money. Now, I think a lot of Trump supporters will help Rupert by doing a lot of advertising on his channel that they don't need to do to give Rupert a bit of money to pay these bills. But I actually think it's a turning point, or I suppose there's been lots of turning points in Rupert's career, but he's now not, he's older than me. And and I'm wondering whether Rupert, uh, you know, he could be up for one and a half billion by the time all these, uh, whether this might uh, convince Rupert that it's time that he got out of stupid shows like Fox News and did something to leave his empire in a bit better place. What do you think? Yeah, I don't think this is exactly like a Saul on the road to Damascus moment, but I think it may be a, um, oh, no, it's bleeding my finances and my legacy dry moment, <laughs> which to these <laughs> people is a little more important than doing things in good conscience. So you could be right. You could be yeah, right. well, we'll see what happens. Well, James, it's been good to uh, have a yarn now next weekend. Uh, uh, we, we will be uh, uh, two days before the budget uh, and uh, we'll have plenty to, you and I can forecast what's going to happen in the budget. That'll stir the viewers, mate. Uh, sounds like a plan. As always, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening, everyone, and we'll see you yeah. next week. Ciao yeah, thank now. you. Yeah, thank you all. Bye.